0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, we're going to be continuing our study through the book of Acts. And today we're going to begin a two-part look at how God worked in Philippi. We're going to be covering this in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. And in part one, we're going to be studying verses 11 through 18. But first, just for some context... After bringing and sharing the letter from the Jerusalem Council with the Gentile believers throughout Syria and Cilicia, we found Paul and his new ministry team, accompanied by Silas and Timothy, on Paul's second missionary journey, continuing west through modern-day Turkey, going through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia with this desire, we're told, to preach the word in Asia. Asia Minor being the reference there, which is western Turkey. But the Holy Spirit forbade them. The Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that. And then they went northwest into the area of Mycenae and tried to go then northeast to Bithynia, which is in the north central portion of modern day Turkey. But we're told again that the Spirit did not permit them. So they ended up passing by Mycia instead. They stayed at Troas, a port city on the northwest coast of Turkey on the Aegean Sea. And we spent a good chunk of our time last Sunday considering these closed doors that Paul and his team experienced that were closed by the Spirit of God, considered how the Holy Spirit will lead us just as much through closed doors and knows as he will through open doors and yeses. And we considered some factors of why the Holy Spirit would prevent this ministry team from bringing the gospel into the area of Asia Minor and Bithynia. And if you missed that study, I encourage you to, to go back and listen to it. But we, we also saw how after coming to Troas, traveling those 400-ish miles, and being told no and experiencing those closed doors from the Spirit those two times, that Paul in the night received a vision, a man from Macedonia pleading with Paul to come to Macedonia and help them, which caused Paul and his crew to, to conclude that this was now an open door and a yes from the Holy Spirit, that God was calling them to go to Macedonia in order to preach the gospel to them. And this vision helped to lead Paul and his team which was now including Luke, who was writing this account, into a new area, to a new people group who hadn't yet received the gospel, and that being Europe, Macedonia being the northeastern section of modern-day Greece. And so with that in mind, let's read verses 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, starting in verse 11. It says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So Paul and his team, they board this ship. They sail away from Troas, northwest across the Aegean Sea, we're told running a straight course to the island of Samothrace, which is an island there in the northeastern part of the Aegean Sea. It's an island with a mountain that's about 5,000 feet in elevation. And the next day, they make it to Neapolis, which was a port town about 150 miles by sea from Troas in the area of Macedonia, or again, northern Greece, And then we're told from Neapolis, they traveled nine or ten miles inland by foot to Philippi, which we're told was a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Now, according to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, when the Romans conquered the region of Macedonia in 168 to 167 B.C., Philippi was placed within the first district of the newly formed Roman province of Macedonia. And then about 20 years later, Thessalonica, which still exists today, it's just known as Thessaloniki, if you look on your map, uh, became the seat of government for all of Macedonia. But then uh, about 100 years after that, after Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius in 42 BC, Philippi... Was made into a Roman colony. Philip, uh, Philippi, Philip, Philippi, Philip, Philippi. Okay, I'll get one of them right. Philippi was located on the Via Ignatia or the Ignatian Way, which was a, a key military and commercial road that people would use that ran across the area of Macedonia. We're told in verse twelve that after arriving in Philippi, they were staying in that city for some days and. Luke continues that in verse 13, as we continue reading. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. The ongoing pattern of Paul's ministry was always to take the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And we see that here in Paul and his team going out of the city on the sabbath day to the riverside where prayer was customarily made now there must not have been many jewish men in the city since there was no synagogue for paul and the team to go to on the sabbath which means that philippi was predominantly filled with gentiles and in order for a city to have a synagogue in that day they would have had to have at least 10 jewish men living there you could have had 20 to 30 you could have had 50 women jewish women but they, they wouldn't regard it in the same way. It had There had to be at least 10 Jewish men for a synagogue to be built. And we're told that when they got to the riverside, they sat down and they spoke to the women who met there. Now, we're not told that any of these women were Jewish or that there were any men present here. But what we do find is a, a gathering of women who were either a mix of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles or Uh, just some God-fearing Gentiles who worship the God of the Jews, but who may or may not have been proselytes to Judaism. But regardless, Paul and his team took this opportunity, as, as these women had gathered there to pray, to sit and speak with them. And I think that alone may not strike us very like, wow, that's really, that's exciting. They sat there and they spoke with the women, but When we consider the cultural context of the day, remember that in in John chapter four, when when Jesus went to uh, Jacob's well and began to speak to the woman that was there, the Samaritan woman, when the disciples came and saw Jesus, they were kind of baffled that Jesus, who would be considered a rabbi in his day, would be speaking to a woman, especially a woman who wasn't Jewish. Jewish. And so for Paul and his team to be here, sitting and speaking with them is is in and of itself one of those things that reminds us of how Jesus has given honor to people in different cultural contexts who didn't have honor or respect in their day. That Jesus gave value to women the way that nobody else ever gave value to women, and That sort of valuing was passed down to his disciples, to all the believers that followed. That when they got here, they didn't just go, well, let's just wait around until some guys show up. Then we'll start to minister. Because that's how a Jewish rabbi would have done it. Jewish rabbi would show up, he would ignore all of the women. But not these followers of Jesus. They were different and they treated people differently. They sat with the women, they began to speak to them and we're told that a certain woman named Lydia heard them, no doubt hearing them share the gospel of Jesus. And we're given some insight about her. We're, we're told that she was a seller of purple. So she would carry these purple swatches that she got from Home Depot and she would sell them. No. J.K. JK. meant that she was a a merchant. She was a trader who dealt in purple cloth, which was in that day extremely expensive and really difficult to produce. Normally someone who was royalty or who was really wealthy would be someone who would be wearing a purple garment, would have something uh, with purple dye in it. We're told that she was from the city of Thyatira, which was a significant center for for wool trade. And we're told that she worshipped God. It seems she was drawn to Yahweh, the God of the Jews. She was a a seeker. She was a a Gentile who worshipped God, but we have to understand this, was not saved. She worshipped God, but she was not saved. She had been listening to Paul, See, no doubt shared about Jesus, the Messiah, the the Savior sent by God, who the law and the Old Testament prophets pointed forward to, the Son of God, the one who came to this earth and fulfilled all the prophecies regarding the Messiah's first coming, who died a substitutionary death upon a Roman cross, who rose from the grave on the third day, who then 40 days later ascended to the right hand of the father no doubt preaching how through Jesus is the forgiveness of sins and that salvation and justification is available by grace through faith in Christ for whoever will believe in him and this is not me speculating because these are things that Paul has already shown to be a pattern when he would go and begin to preach this was true of what we see when he was in Pisidian Antioch speaking to a mixed multitudes of both Jews and Gentiles. This was the exact sort of message that Paul preached. He made sure to put all the focus on Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior who God had raised up. And as Paul shared, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. I really like what John Stott wrote about this. He said, as she listened to Paul's message, the Lord opened her heart to respond. That is, he opened her inner eyes to see and to believe in the Jesus Paul proclaimed. We note that although the message was Paul's, the saving initiative was God's. Paul's preaching was not effective in itself. The Lord worked through it and the Lord's work was not itself direct. He chose to work through Paul's preaching. John Stott says, it is always the same. This is a great reminder to us that God has chosen to use human instruments in bringing his gospel to lost people and at the same time, it has to be God who opens up someone's heart so that they'll respond in faith to the message of the gospel. Listen, our very first mindset when it comes to sharing the gospel with someone should be to pray for that person even before we speak to them. Now, this isn't always possible. You could meet someone and and all of a sudden that conversation happens, and, and maybe you don't have that sort of relational sort of opportunity. You've been talking to someone, it's your neighbor, it's a coworker, it's someone you've seen in your local market. And so, you know, you've had time to really be praying for them, praying for their hearts, praying for the Lord to make you ready, praying for boldness. But we we really need to be praying for this opening or softening or preparing sort of work to happen in the hearts of lost people. Because There's this wooing sort of work that the Holy Spirit's desiring to do. You know, for for all of us here who know Jesus Christ personally, when we look back at the course of our lives leading to that point where we finally said yes to Jesus, where we finally surrendered to Jesus, we can probably put our finger on some points where God was doing that sort of softening. There was, there was an opening sort of work that God was, was doing in our lives that was necessary in order for us to come to a place where we would humble ourselves before the Lord because we all know this, when there's pride in a person's heart, it shuts the doors, so to speak, from being able to hear, to listen, to receive what Jesus would have for us. And guys, just as important it is for us to be opening our mouths and being bold as instruments in the hand of God, we need to be people who are laying that groundwork in prayer, praying ahead of time for the souls of individuals. Praying, Lord, open their eyes. They're blinded by the enemy. Lord, open their ears so that they can really hear. Lord, soften their hearts because there's a hardness that exists Lord, but you are, you are masterful in how you can, can break apart hard things, rocky, stony so, sorts of hearts. Lord, you're the one who's able to melt hard sorts of mindsets against you and, and really interceding for other people. In our text, Lydia's heart was open to hear and receive the gospel. She receives Jesus' free gift of salvation. And the next thing we see in verse 15 is that her and her household are, are, are baptized, which means that those in her household, whether that was her children, whether that was, you know, servants, workers that she had working for her in her trade, but these other people also believed And then we're baptized and and baptism following what Jesus said in his great commission to go and make disciples of all nations to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That outward profession of belief in Jesus, that identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was and still is an important next step in someone's discipleship after they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if anyone here has never been water baptized before, I'd love to baptize you. Let me know, please, after service. But after her and her household were baptized, Lydia immediately responded to her salvation by wanting to be a blessing to Paul and his ministry team by showing them Christian hospitality, begging them to come stay at her house and persuading them. And something to point out here that's so cool of God is that God gave Paul a vision to get him to Macedonia. But then the very first person to get saved is this woman, Lydia, who was from Thyatira, which was a city in Asia, Minor, the area that paul initially wanted to go preach the gospel to but the holy spirit had forbidden them back in verse six and i just love when god gives us little glimpses of fulfillments of things that he's put in our hearts for paul he had this desire to go and preach the gospel in asia and although it wasn't God's timing for him to go there, yet he still gets to see one person from Asia receive Jesus, which ended up leading her whole household to Jesus too. I don't know, there's just something about that that just, there, there's a sweetness about the, the, the care of God in that. Because I, I can imagine, and I, we talked about this last week, but I would be disappointed if I were Paul. I've traveled 200 plus miles to get over to this place where I just, my whole desire was just to see people get saved and then the Holy Spirit goes, nope. We're not told that even got any reasoning behind it. We're not told that the Holy Spirit of God said, don't worry, Paul, it's gonna happen just later on. All we get is the Holy Spirit Forbid, forbade, forbade, forbid, forbidden, forbidding, forbade them from going. And there's this finality of like, oh gosh, if I was Paul, I'd be like, I'd be a little bummed. God, why? I mean, it's in my heart. I have a heart for these people. I, I want to see your gospel go there. No. So God directs him, he's, he's moving further away from the area that he wanted to go to initially but then the very first person to get saved is in, is from the area that God told him not to go to. It's like, it's like God honored that heart that Paul had for people to just get saved. Paul, I get it. I see. I care about that. I want them to get saved too. It's not time yet, but just to show you how awesome I am, I'm gonna let you see somebody in that area that I told you not to go to be the very first person to receive the gospel in this new area I'm bringing you to. Something else though to point out here is that Paul was drawn to Macedonia by the the vision of the man from Macedonia who pleaded with Paul to come to Macedonia and help them but would Paul and his team get to Macedonia to Bring the greatest help, eternal help through the gospel of Jesus. Notice what they found didn't match the vision that Paul received. There's not even any mention of a man of Macedonia at all in these first interactions and evangelistic opportunities that Paul and his team had there in Philippi but nowhere do we find Paul or the rest of the team questioning the Lord about any of this, being frustrated towards the Lord about any of this. You know, I think those nose and those closed doors that they received from the Lord as they traveled those 400-ish miles before coming to Macedonia, built into them an even greater flexibility and, and open-handed sort of mindset in their ministering that, that God could do whatever he wanted however he wanted whenever he wanted with whomever he wanted and that their only responsibility was just to get on board with the Lord's plans and stay yielded to him. You know I wonder how many of us would have responded differently than Paul and his team here. You know, maybe for some of us, knowing our personalities, if we were in their shoes, receiving that vision would have caused us to have and hold on to certain expectations of how God was supposed to work and then been left frustrated or confused or discouraged or disappointed when our expectations weren't met. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith, the the founding pastor of the Calvary Chapel Movement used to say in what we would, people in the Calvary Chapel Movement would often call Chuckisms, but he would say, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. Not a biblical proverb, but there's a biblical foundation to that thought. Blessed are the flexible for they shall not, Be broken. Guys, oftentimes when we have expectations, if those expectations aren't met, it can really mess us up. I mean, it can really just do a crazy thing in our minds. But what we see here with Paul is okay, what I thought was going to happen was there's going to be clearly a man saying, help us. There's going to be some guy when we get there who's just begging for the gospel to be preached to them. I mean, maybe the the moment that they reach shore, there's going to be some dude there because God gave me this vision. And yet they come, no one's begging Paul and his team to preach the gospel. No one's looking for Paul. No one's pursuing after Paul. No one's going, hey, you know what? I'm the person from the vision. It's me. I was praying for you to come here. Kind of like Cornelius and Peter. This is not the same situation. And yet Paul was able to just keep even the vision that he received just with open hands. Lord, yeah, you did show me that, but if it doesn't look exactly like what you showed me, you're God and I'm not. You have permission to do whatever you want, God, because you're God and I'm not. If this doesn't work out the way that I want it to or I'm hoping it to, that's not going to change the fact that you're good. It's not going to change the fact that you're faithful. It's not going to change the reality that you're working And I think there's so much for us to take away from the example of how Paul and his team handled what they saw in reality compared to what God gave them in that vision spiritually. Lydia and her household are the first people through Paul's ministry to receive the gospel and be saved in Macedonia and and are the first to comprise the church that was now being planted in the city, city of Philippi and which from verse 40 seems may have started holding their gatherings at Lydia's house, her hospitality no doubt extending from just welcoming Paul and his team in to welcoming all these new believers in also. But let's read verses 16 through 18. Verse 16 says, Now it happened... As we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned And said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. I think there's a lot of believers that probably this might be their life verse. Like a permission to be annoyed at people and to like tell somebody off or something. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Paul and his team didn't just go to the riverside on that one Sabbath day. They just go that one day, cool, our ministry here is done. We did it, guys. Lydia and her family are saved. It's all good. We've done what we're supposed to do in Philippi. They kept going back. Kept going back there to prayer. I think there's probably part of it would be just their own desire to seek the Lord in that setting personally, but also seeing that, you know what, there's some opportunities here to share the gospel with anyone else. Who might gather there at the riverside? But as they went, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met them, which seems to be an intentional encounter driven by the demonic forces at work in this girl's life. I want us to check out what the Bible knowledge commentary said about this girl being possessed with the spirit of divination. It gives a little background here. It says the English words "a spirit" by which he predicted the future translate two Greek words: "a spirit," a python. This concept goes back to the Greek city of Delphi, where the god Apollo was believed to be embodied in a python snake. The original priestess at Delphi was was purported to be possessed by Apollo and thereby able to predict the future. Therefore, anyone possessed by the python spirit could foretell coming events. No doubt an actual demon gave such a person predictive powers. And it follows that by saying, demons took advantage of people's worship of false gods and gives a cross-references of Acts 17, verse 23 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. Because this girl was thought not by Paul and Silas, but thought by those in the town to be possessed by the false god Apollo who could predict the future, this was part of what her masters used to bring in business, advertising her as someone with the power of the python god to foretell the future, but you just had to pay the right amount of money. And we're told in verse 16, 16 that she brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Understand this slave girl was being trafficked by wicked men who made money off of her being possessed by a demon. So not only was she being subjected to the oppression of being someone else's property who was using her and making money off of her, she was also being subjected to the oppression and possession of demonic forces in her life. And this is a tragic sort of thing that we're reading about here. This This is one of those things that should cause every one of us to have our hearts break for this girl. This girl was in desperate need of the deliverance that only Jesus could bring into her life. But with that, I do want to make it clear because there are many who seem to dabble in occult sorts of things and not seeing the danger in them. That fortune-telling, palm reading, astrology, mediums, the list could go on, they're all a tool of the enemy and they should never be entertained by believers. In Leviticus chapters 19, 20, and 26, God is very clear about the seriousness of someone who goes to someone who is practicing those things and very serious about those who are doing those things. Why would we go to someone who's being influenced by demonic forces to give us some sort of life, wisdom, or guidance? Doesn't, doesn't register for me. Doesn't make sense. Shouldn't get our money. Shouldn't have our time. The Lord and his word have all the wisdom and guidance and counsel we need, guys. We have the spirit of God. Don't need to go to somebody else. Tell us what God's will is for your life. What he wants in a situation. James tells us if anyone lacks wisdom, let him come to the Lord who gives wisdom liberally and without reproach. He wants to give us wisdom. You know what the problem is oftentimes? We don't go to him first for it. I want to know what my friend says. I want to know what the media says. I want to know what this other educated person says. I want to know what whoever, you fill in the blank. I want to know what somebody else says about this thing. And we bypass the wisdom of God for a, cheap imitation of wisdom oftentimes not that those people can't be used by the lord to provide wisdom or we'll come to the lord and we're asking him for wisdom but we're like james goes on to say we're being double-minded we're going lord yeah give me wisdom ah no i don't think he's gonna give me wisdom i should really start to figure this thing out for myself (laughs) lord give me wisdom and then the whole time as i'm praying for wisdom i'm just like doing my own thing that's double-minded Just a wave of the sea, like a a ship tossed to and fro in the sea. God's got wisdom for us. Don't go to demonic forces to give you some sort of divine insight. The enemy will always steer you wrong. Why? Because the enemy's only desire is to steal and to kill and to destroy. We see in our text this girl who met Paul and his team as they were going to prayer began to follow them. And not only did she follow them, she began to cry out and say, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And we're told in the beginning of verse 18 that she did this for many days. This wasn't like she showed up for five minutes and then she's gone. Well, that was weird. Ever had that happen? So you're like, Going, everything's going gray are rejoicing the Lord. Something really strange happens, but, but then it's gone. It's like, cool, I didn't have to deal with that person any longer. I, everything's cool. My life's back to normal. Many days, many days. Now, just so nobody gets the wrong idea here, like this was a positive thing in any way, and this girl is just really stoked and wants other people to know who Paul and his team were and what they were proclaiming, because what she said was actually true. They're servants of the Most High God, and they were proclaiming the way of salvation to the people. Those things were true. When we're told that she cried out these things, that word cried out in the Greek means to utter or declare in a very loud voice, often indicating a harsh sounding utterance what she ch- said was true but how she said it probably freaked people out you ever heard somebody scream with a guttural sort of sound it's not pleasant like, i i don't even want to pretend to do it right now cuz i just it's like freaking me out to even, no, it's not freaking me out, but I don't want to break my microphone. But <laughs> it probably sounded super gnarly. What she said was true, but this is not the kind of endorsement anybody would want to receive from someone else. Not just because of how she might have sounded, but also because people in Philippi associated this girl with a false God, with a false religious system, with false spirituality. And her endorsement would likely make others think that what Paul and his team were preaching was linked to the false, teach, uh, false things that this girl was caught up in. Paul and his companions were servants of the Most High God, the only God, the one true God, and they were proclaiming to the people. The only way of salvation because there is no other way than through Jesus. But Paul was not okay with demons doing public relations work for them. This went on for many days. We're not sure exactly how many. But after many days we're told in verse 18 that Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he came out. That very hour. But I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm definitely left with some questions. Like, Paul, why did you wait many days before casting this demon out of this girl? Like, why? Why didn't why didn't it just happen immediately? Like, just give the poor girl a break, like help her out, like deliver her, or Spare yourself the embarrassment and the, the maybe getting a, a bad reputation because of the endorsement from this slave girl. You know, I think it's possible that the reason Paul let this go on as long as he did was because Paul took to heart something Jesus said to his disciples after coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus found his disciples unable to cast a demon out of a boy who had been tormented, where after Jesus cast the demon out of the boy, his disciples came to him and asked him privately. I love that about that portion of scripture. Like, I don't want to be embarrassed asking him in public to know what he might say about us and why we couldn't cast him out. So let's take Jesus aside privately and say, Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? You know, they take him aside privately, they ask him, And Jesus tells them there, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. It's very possible that Paul, through the discernment that the Lord gave him, might have been using these many days of being followed by this demon-possessed slave girl to really seek the Lord in prayer for her before taking the step of faith to command the demon to come out of her in the name of Jesus. We don't know for sure. But it's important for us to understand as we read this that Paul wasn't greatly annoyed at the girl. He was greatly annoyed at the spirit who possessed the girl and had been oppressing her life. He was greatly annoyed that this demon was trying to attach itself to Paul's ministry team and caused them to be seen by others as on the same level as the spiritual power and authority that this girl had, which was attributed to a false god. He was greatly annoyed, I believe, that the demonic realm had such a stronghold in this girl's life and in this city, keeping them from hearing about and receiving Jesus and his salvation and experiencing his deliverance, his rescue, His help. This wasn't like an outburst of frustration here where Paul just couldn't handle this girl anymore. This was Paul, through a sensitivity to the leading of the Spirit, having the discernment to know that the time had come for him to step out in faith and to really use the authority in the name of Jesus to see this girl delivered. And notice, Paul didn't command the demon to leave by his own authority. He didn't say, I just command you, get out of her. If I say it, it must be done. No, he made sure to let this demon and anyone else around who witnessed this know that it was through the power and authority and name of Jesus Christ that this demon had to leave this girl. And these sorts of moments just remind us of how powerful and amazing the name of Jesus is. His name is the name above every other name. It's the only name given under heaven by which men and women must be saved. And it's his name that causes the enemy to flee, which is exactly what happened here in this slave girl's life, who is now delivered from the possession of, And oppression of this demon. And likely also was saved after this too. Even though we're not told explicitly in our text. You know in contrast with Lydia. Who we see initially was a worshiper of God. And very probably wealthy because of her trade. Is this girl. Who initially was demon possessed and a slave. Making a lot of money for her masters. But probably had nothing personally. And they they probably couldn't seem to be more different to us initially, and yet their spiritual need was the same. Even though Lydia was a worshiper of God, without knowing Jesus personally, she was not saved. She was lost. She was in bondage to Satan and on the road leading to destruction just like the demon-possessed slave girl before she was delivered. But isn't it interesting how differently we can sometimes view people and their lostness or their need for Jesus based upon maybe their morality or their philanthropy or their social status or how pretty and put together everything might look in their lives outwardly. Yet each and every person without Christ. Is lost. Is separated from God because of their sin. Is sitting in darkness. Is in bondage to our spiritual enemy. Is on the road leading to destruction. And eternity spent in hell. If they don't repent and turn in faith to Jesus. Paul didn't see Lydia. Lydia as, you know, pretty much good enough because she worshiped God even though she didn't have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and he didn't see the demon-possessed slave girl as the, as the enemy or as too far gone because she was possessed by a demon and was working in occult practices. No, he saw both of them as people that Jesus loved and died for and who he wanted to save and radically deliver and transform By his grace. The vision God gave Paul was of a man of Macedonia pleading with Paul to come and help them. Paul gets there, and it's not a man, but some different women. First the women at the riverside, now this slave girl. And so far, no one's been pleading with Paul and his team to come preach the gospel to them. Things looked different, but God was still present. He was still working. You know, things in your life might look different than you thought that they would, or maybe hoped that they would look. You know, things definitely look different today in our world than we ever thought they would. And it's not likely any of us will have people searching us out or pleading with us to preach the gospel to them. In fact, it may seem oftentimes that people would rather avoid us or just aren't interested or or maybe even seem strongly opposed to Jesus and his gospel. Yet the need is always there. Jesus' commission has been given And he has the power of his spirit for us to carry his vision and his commission out. But listen, we've got to stay dependent and yielded and abiding and flexible and focused fully on Jesus Christ. Look, I don't know about you, but without the spirit of God doing a continual Softening sort of work, a work of his grace, a work of his agape love in my life. I can't see people the way that Jesus does. I can't. I might look at Lydia and go, she's fine, everything's great, I'll just leave her, she's great, she's good. She's worshiping the Lord. Might be a little misguided, but she's worshiping the Lord. Might look at the demon-possessed slave girl and go, you know what? I think I'm really equipped for that. I think maybe someone else with a specialized ministry towards demon possessed slave girls needs to step in here. Or you know what? No, no, no. She wouldn't be interested. No, no, no. She's not going to listen. She's not going to want anything to do with Jesus. I mean, she's into occult practices. But Paul didn't make that differentiation. He didn't go, oh, you're more lost. You're way more lost. Man. He just went, you don't know Jesus, you're all lost. If you don't know Jesus, you all need his salvation. You can look at people and see people through the lens of the love of Jesus, the, the, the compassion of Jesus, to, to look at people and, and see them not as the enemy but see them as they truly are, as captives to the enemy. And gosh, that sort of perspective is something that needs to be renewed in us daily, I believe. I think a a constant prayer for all of us in these days is, Lord, help me to stay close to you, but help me also to see people the way that you do and to love people the way that you do and to be motivated by compassion the way that Jesus was. Think about all the times where it's in the gospel accounts that would tell us that Jesus was moved to compassion. How often are we moved to compassion anymore? This world is hardening us. It's hardening us and hardening us. What we need is a softening work, an inner work of revival. I think it's great to pray for revival. Pray for revival. Pray for awakening of souls. But if that revival's not happening in you, if it's not happening in me, all we're really doing is saying, Lord, I don't want to be a part of it. Somebody else. Do with somebody else, Lord. It's got to start with us. We see Paul and Silas and Timothy. We see them again being flexible and yielded. Being able to go, okay, it doesn't look the way that I wanted it to. What my expectation was is not being seen in reality here, but Lord, it's not about that. What do you want to do, Lord? What do you have for us, Lord? Who are you wanting us to minister to? Who do you want us to reach with your gospel? What are you wanting to do in me? How are you wanting to transform me, Lord? And keeping in that position, of just staying focused on Jesus Christ and running the race that he set before us with endurance. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. We're gonna finish this account next week. I hope I gauge the text well enough to actually make it through the rest of the verses next week, but we'll see. But guys, you know, what's, What's the Lord speaking to your heart today? How is, how is he maybe challenging you or convicting you, maybe stirring you or wanting to encourage and build up and equip you? You know, whatever those things are, it, it's easy to just hear something in the moment and then just let it kind of drift away. But to be able to grab a hold of those things and really pray through them. Lord, you spoke this to me. You You put this on my heart. I really felt like you were doing something today in my life, Lord. And God, would you help me to really understand what that is? Lord, lead me in these things. And then being able to run with the vision that he's giving you, being able to step out in faith in those things that he's putting before you, those good works that he's prepared for each of us to walk in. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. God, the things that you did in the city of Philippi here in the opening portion of what we're seeing as they entered Macedonia. And Lord, God, to see that you gave a vision, but it didn't all look the way that they maybe thought it would. And yet, Lord, you had a plan. You were doing something, God. You were working in people's hearts. You were going to bring salvation, Lord. You were going to deliver from the possession and oppression of the enemy. And God, you were going to use human instruments to be a part of your plan of what you were going to do. And God, I pray for us in our day. Lord, where things don't look the way that we thought they would. Maybe for some of us, God, even just in our own lives personally, that we thought we'd be somewhere else, or we thought things would look different, or this situation would be different. And maybe it's not. God, help us to take heart today, Lord, to know, God, that in the midst of those things, Lord, that you are working. That, God, you still have a plan. God, that you're still present. And Lord, help us to walk in those things that you're speaking to us, God. To stand strong in your word. Lord God, to be people who walk by faith and not by sight. God, and would you be glorified in and through our lives. Lord, lead us in these days. Lord God, give us boldness to share your gospel with lost people. God, help us to not gauge people's need based upon what we see outwardly. But Lord, give us the discernment, the spiritual insight, Lord, to gauge people's spiritual need by what's going on inwardly. To see the spiritual state of people, Lord. And to be led by your spirit, led by your love, God, in how we reach out. Jesus, we need you. Lord, we can't do this without you. Lord, we need the power of your spirit. Lord, enabling us each day, God, working in our own hearts, God, that our hearts would stay soft towards other people. To not view lost people as the enemy, Lord, but to see them as captives to the enemy. God, we need your grace. Lord, we need your transforming work, Lord, in our lives. God, we desire, Lord, for that personal revival to take place. Lord, that you would start with each of us. God, that we would be able, in a sense, to draw a circle around us and to say, Lord, bring revival here. If there's anybody here this morning, maybe you're joining online, you don't have a personal saving relationship with jesus christ jesus is calling out to you today what's necessary in your life the remedy for your spiritual state of separation of separation because of sin is to receive jesus's free gift of salvation that he extends out to each of us today Whoever will respond in faith. If that's anybody here in person, I just encourage you to stand where you're at. If that's anybody this morning and you're going, you know what, that's me. I need that salvation. I need that forgiveness. Maybe that's somebody joining us online or maybe you're listening to this later. I just encourage you in your own heart just to say, Jesus, I am a sinner, but I confess my sin to you. In this Lord morning, Lord, I, I repent, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place, taking my punishment, paying the debt for my sin. Jesus, I believe you rose from the grave. Jesus, I place my faith my trust, my hope fully in you. Jesus, save me. Would you forgive me? Would you seal me with your Holy Spirit? And would you empower me to live for you? I just encourage you, as you make that prayer this morning, as you really genuinely in your own heart, you surrender your life to the lordship of jesus christ the bible says you will be saved we'd love to follow up with you if you would let us know that you made that decision this morning but lord as we respond to your word and songs of praise and taking the communion elements lord remembering your body that was broken lord your blood that was shed your blood that brings forgiveness of sins. Lord, your blood, God, which has brought us into a new covenant of grace. Lord God, would we truly worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. Laying our lives down before you, Lord. Yielded completely to you. And God, would you lead us this coming week God, and be glorified in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you We praise you, Father, and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.